Hey guys, welcome to Access. John here. Christmas is just right around the corner, and we are beginning that celebration early by dedicating several of our Sunday mornings to celebrating Advent. Now, you may not know much about Advent, so in this message, I'm going to focus on what the Christmas season is really all about. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30, as we're going to talk about hope in this sermon that is entitled, Hope in Advent. Mary, she was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, "Mary, you're gonna have what? I can't say good. Mary, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby, and you will call him Jesus." And then Mary was like, "I'm not gonna have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married." Then. The angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper, um, for a place to stay, the keeper said, We have no rooms. Literally, no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, The only place in here in Bethlehem and that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. <laughs> When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angel said, a new baby is getting born, who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. Glorious. And then the shepherds said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. Then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, to have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. Sometimes you just know you're not really getting the whole story. Well, today we're beginning our Advent celebration, and so this will be a very special series for us. Christmas and Easter are generally when you have the, the submarine believers come to church. You know, what's a submarine believer? A submarine believer is 
someone who, who really only surfaces twice a year. And it's funny because when you run into these submarine believers and fill them out as to why they don't come more often, um, a, the general response is because it's always the same message, which is pretty much true. If a person only comes on Easter and Christmas, the message typically revolves around the birth and resurrection of Christ. So it's hard to get excited about this time because most of us have heard the Christmas messages over and over and over again. I mean, I've been in church for 30 plus years, so yeah, I've pretty much heard what Christmas is typically all about. However, um, as you heard in the video, oftentimes there are several things that seem to get tacked onto the Christmas story that aren't necessarily biblically accurate. Who knows? You know, we might be telling a story about how the wise men brought Frankenstein myrrh and gold to the baby Jesus. So um, for this Advent season, I want to try to give a greater picture of what Christmas is all about and help us to maybe even correct some of the things about the Christmas story that are inaccurate. Now, if you didn't know, Advent means coming or arrival, and there are typically two Advents that Christians um, particularly show attention to. The first Advent is the is the coming of Jesus into the world as a man, which we celebrate around Christmas time, and the second advent is where Jesus has promised to go and prepare a place for us, and he will return for us so that we can be where he is. It is the second advent, the second coming of Christ. So the advent season is a time where we typically focus on four major themes leading up to the Christmas Eve service, hope, joy, peace, and love. And over the course of the advent season, I'll be trying to explain why these four themes specifically are important and what they have to do with the time, uh, our time during the Christmas season. But today, we're just going to begin with our first theme, hope. And so I want to begin by asking what it is that you often find yourself hoping for. Now, each and every one of us hope for something, especially around the Christmas season. For example, um, Aaron and I set a financial goal this year. We hope we reach it. Each of us hopes for something this Christmas. If we're young, we're hoping our parents get us that really awesome gift. If we're parents, we're hoping we can afford better presents this year, or we're hoping people understand why we couldn't afford better presents this year without um, having to endure a lot of embarrassment. Maybe we hope for something less tangible. Maybe we're hoping um, for the whole family to get together this year. Maybe we're hoping that we have an actual break for, from homework during this holiday season. Or maybe we're hoping that Christmas doesn't feel as empty as we think it might because we've lost a loved one this year. But sometimes we've reached a place in our hearts where we just stop hoping almost altogether. There are little things that we hope for, but the big things we don't hope for. You know, this, this can happen especially when we grow up in dysfunctional families. Year after year, we hope to have an enjoyable time with family, and it just turns into another nightmare. Maybe we hope that our dad would choose to stay sober this time rather than have him stumble through the door and embarrassing us and our families. Um, and, and, you know, like we've, we've experienced so many times, and, and, and you know, our hope is, is just broken at this point. Hope for many of us seems to be such a silly notion. Maybe it's childish. We think, why, why would I hope? You know, why should I? Hope only sets me up for failure. Hope is childish. I've moved past the need to hope, and I've just accepted the way the world really is. Many For many, for many of us, um, Christmas time isn't that magical time full of awe and wonder. It, it, it's just another time 
that, that we have heartache and disappointment. For all intents and purposes, maybe many of us hate Christmas because of what it brings, whether it be stress or broken budgets or family problems or all of the above, emptiness. To suggest hoping for something better, for a lot of us, it's almost an insult because we've experienced heartache and suffering and it's that painful disappointment year after year. And we just think, well, what's the point? What's the point of hope? And what we need to understand is that much of the time, the things that we hope for isn't what God would have us to hope for. And I want to read a passage of Scripture for you because I believe there's a beautiful application of misplaced hope found in this story. I want to read Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. This is I'm going to start with uh, verses 18 through 22. It says, A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Now, I think from this scripture, we can see that hope that is misplaced is what leads to our disappointment. In short, there are many things that we hope for that we are never encouraged or commanded to hope for in scripture. For example, in this passage, we see that the rich young ruler had placed his hope in an area that in scripture, God never commanded his people to have hope in. Now, this is made evident in how Jesus approach, or the man approaches Jesus. When he approaches Jesus, he asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there are some key words in this man's question that should send out signals as to where this man was coming from. There's a lot that we can learn from his question. Now, even, even probably for him, this is the way that the world works. First, Jesus corrects him by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was saying, I'm not God, don't call me good. I think Jesus was saying, now, you've got some inconsistencies in your beliefs here, sir. Am I God or am I a teacher? Now, you need to figure that out before you start coming around asking for spiritual advice. But notice that the guy says, what must I do to inherit? And that gives us some insight on the home that this man likely grew up in. He very likely had a father who put an incredible yoke upon him that unless he behaved a certain way, believed a certain way, unless he avoided certain pitfalls in life, he would not receive an inheritance. The rich young man very likely spent his entire life trying to live up to his dad's standards of what a man was supposed to be. Now, I can tell you from experience how difficult it is to try to be perfect all the time. I can't tell you from experience how to keep up appearances long enough so that everybody just believes you pulled it off. But when this young man comes to Jesus... He's already received his inheritance from his father. Likely his father has already passed. Um, He's already lived by a moral code long enough to receive the freedom within his inheritance. But this man knows that something is missing. Now here's an important truth about hope. When you have everything, you don't hope for anything. You already have all you could hope for. And if this story should show us anything, it is that If we've been placing our hope in wealth, we will one day look up and realize what this man realized. I don't have everything. 
Something is missing. Now, you've heard the saying, uh, money can't buy happiness. Aaron read me a, a, a funny post off of Facebook the other day that said, true, but it's a lot more comfortable crying in a Lexus than on a bicycle. It would be nice to, to find out the hard way, I guess. We often hope for what we don't have. We always hope for what we don't have. And so this man who spent his entire life hoping for his inheritance and getting what he hoped for realized that I need to be hoping for something else because something is missing. And it wasn't revealed to him that he needed to hope. Uh, or it was revealed to him that, that he not only needed to hope uh, not, not just for a happy life on earth, but for eternal life in heaven. So he wanted to know, what do I have to do, Jesus? I mean, I've been living in this, under this standard my entire life where I've had to do things to inherit. So what do I have to do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to, to where, where do I need to place my hope to ensure that I will get what I'm missing? And before we read Jesus' response, I want you to know that the way in which he responds to this man isn't fair. Jesus, Jesus doesn't respond to other people the same way. Jesus doesn't do what's fair. He does what's right. For example, last week we read in John 6 where Jesus tells a group of people, all you have to do to believe, all you have to do is believe and you will inherit eternal life. Yet here Jesus tells this man, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Now when the Lord, this is my belief that when the Lord is speaking to us, there is more that's going on than what's audible. There's more that's going on than, 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 than what meets the eye. There is something internally that's happening in us. When God speaks to us, there is something that rings in our minds and in our hearts, in our spirit, that, 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 that you know, the words that we're hearing ring something in us. The rings true. So very likely, what I mean by that is very likely when Jesus said these words, very likely these same words were what his dad had told him over and over and over and over again. Jesus knows exactly what to say to this man. Um, Jesus tells the man, you know the commandments. And this rich young ruler responds, you know, I've kept all these things since I was a boy. And, you know, before I read this passage of Scripture, you know, I've read this many times, but before I studied it for this message, I, I guess I always thought, you know, nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. But but I also can recognize and understand that, that there's something very deep going on uh, he probably had. You know, as we talked about earlier, he lived under the standard of his father. He probably had kept these things. This was most likely a requirement from his father for him to receive the inheritance that he was hoping for. Yet Jesus, instead of saying, just believe in me and you will be saved, he says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Why would Jesus say that? Now, could you imagine having a conversation with someone today who wants to be saved by saying to them, you know, you know, well, if you want to be saved, you want to get to heaven, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow Jesus, and you'll be saved. You, you, we don't say that. So why did Jesus do that? We can only speculate, but the reason why I think Jesus did that was because Jesus speaks to each of us where we are. Jesus knows our heart. Jesus knew that this man had placed hope in the wrong place. This man had an earthly father that likely held him to a near impossible standard, and he somehow managed to squeeze by, uh, to manage to satisfy his father. However, there is no way to satisfy God's standards. So for Jesus to say one more thing you lack, this very likely felt like a dagger to this rich young ruler's heart. This man's hope was misplaced, and because it was misplaced, it led to great disappointment. 
recognize that each of us, especially around Christmas time, have a tendency to misplace hope. You see, the things that we often hope for aren't necessarily ungodly, but they can still be selfish. We really hope for what we really want for Christmas. We really hope for uh, to be spared from the embarrassment because of our financial situation. We really hope that we don't have to deal with a dysfunction that we know that we're going to have to deal with. And while these things aren't necessarily wrong, they certainly aren't the things that we're commanded to put our hopes in. So in a way, the things that we hope for aren't God-endorsed, and so we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Maybe not. Maybe we get everything that we want for Christmas. And I hate to sound like a pessimist, but do you really think that every Christmas is going to be the same every year? For the rich young ruler, Jesus knew exactly what to say to him. He was showing him how impossible the godly standard was to work for, that that you couldn't work for salvation. You and I, no matter how hard we try, we will never attain it. We will never reach it. So we must be very careful not to place our hope in the things that we are commanded Uh, We aren't commanded to, but we must be especially careful not to place our hope in the things that we are commanded not to. In other words, Jesus never commanded us to place our hope in Santa. But we are commanded not to worship anything else before God. There are things that we put our hope in that we are commanded not to in Scripture. So for this rich young ruler, he failed to obey Psalm 146.3, which says, Do not put your faith in princes, in human beings who cannot save. We have to check Scripture with our lives and be sensitive to conviction from the Holy Spirit. God will show us when we have things that we're placing our hope in and we're commanded not to. And it only makes sense if you put your hopes in the things that aren't endorsed by the Lord or in areas that you're directly commanded not to, of course you're going to wind up disappointed because God is not a liar. So as Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not things, abo- not things below. Now Christmas just has that, 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 that ability to get us to focus on the things below. I mean, even Thanksgiving, the time of the year that we should be most thankful. What do we do immediately after dinner? We rush out and get in line for things that, 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 that don't matter. So we, we, we leave a time of Thanksgiving and then we go to getting more. Set your mind on things above, not things below. Now, Luke chapter 18, verses 23 through 27, it even goes even deeper. It says, when, when the rich young ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible for men is possible with God. See, our ability to hope, if we have broken hope, our ability to hope again isn't going to be developed from within. We're not going to be able to muster up hope. See, sometimes we get this idea that if we want to be where we want to be, or even if if we want to live a life that's pleasing to God, we need to try harder. Maybe we're listening to Tony Robbins tapes, and we need to try harder and just, just be positive. But in this story, the rich young ruler went away very sad because he was a man of great wealth and what Jesus asked of him was impossible. Jesus even said when he questioned by the disciples, with man it's impossible. In other words, Jesus knew exactly what to say to this man to discourage him. Jesus knew exactly what was out of this man's reach and he challenged him with it. Now You may have heard me talk about uh, on this part where Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So I might not be saying anything new to you, but I don't believe Jesus was actually talking about a sewing needle. In Jerusalem, there was believed to be a gate called the Needle Gate, which was was more of a water drain than anything else. 
And in order for a camel to go through it, uh, it, it would have to be stripped of all of its saddles and riding equipment, and it would have to get down on its knees, and it would have to crawl through on its own. You couldn't pull it through. You'd have to crawl through on its own. And in truth, it doesn't really matter whether Jesus was talking about a needle gate or a sewing needle. The application is the same. It is impossible for us to get to heaven on our own merit. Now, honestly, I don't think it was really about the money for the man. I think it had more to, more to do with his identity. Jesus was challenging him to lose everything that he had worked for. This is what I've spent my entire life doing. Everything he spent his entire life trying to become wasn't enough to inherit eternal life. Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, puts it into terms we can understand. He says, imagine you spend your whole life climbing a ladder. And when you get to the end of your life, end of the ladder, you realize the ladder has been placed on the wrong wall. So I don't really think it was about the money. I, I think it was more about who this man was. Jesus was a talent, telling him to allow God to strip his whole identity and rebuild it into something better. And guys, that's just not something we can do on our own. Something we should recognize about God is that sometimes God will say exactly what we need to hear to break us. He will give us, he will give us um, experiences and, and maybe even consequences that will break us. And this isn't a comfortable truth. It's not an attractive truth about God, but truth is still truth. God knows exactly what to say to us. He knows exactly what to bring to us to break us, and sometimes he does it. Not simply to break us because he's cruel, but so that we will turn to him and learn to rely upon him in new ways. That we will become a new creation. So for those of us who have had hope stripped away from us year after year, man, I sure hope dad stays sober. Ah, great. Dad's drunk again. Man, I hope we just get along. What a nightmare. Man, I just hope I really get what I want this year. Great, socks and underwear. Those of us who have had our hopes stripped away from us, for those of us who have been disappointed and can recognize that Christmas isn't really a time of hope, joy, peace, and love, but a brokenness, understand that God has been showing us areas of misplaced hope, and he's been doing it for a purpose. The opposite of what God wants for us is to try again and just get out there and try harder, misplace our hope all over again. No, God wants us to put our hope in the right place. Again, things we often hope for aren't necessarily ungodly. Some of the things that we hope for are good, we, 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 which we know from Jesus, only God is good. Some things we hope for are godly. For example, wanting our family to come together and love each other. That's a godly hope. However, maybe, just maybe, God doesn't want us to put our hopes in things that are good. He wants us to put us, put our hope, us to put our hope in the things that are best. And if we're unwilling to let go of those things, recognize that God knows exactly what conversation to have with you to break you, and He will do it. And once you're broken, He wants you to hand Him the broken pieces of your heart so He could put you back together, so He can make you a new creation. And if we don't know what our inabilities are, God will be happy to show us so that we will learn to rely upon him. This passage ends with just a beautiful truth. Peter said to him in verse 28, Jesus, we've left all we've had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left his home or his wife or his brothers or his parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come 
eternal life. This should show us that hope that's placed in Christ doesn't disappoint us. Now, as I said, God, God will often show us our weakness so that we can learn to rely upon Christ for strength. As God says to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We need to recognize that the places that we typically place our hope, that those aren't the places that we should be placing hope. This is what leads to our brokenness. But also, we should see that when we follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God will show us how to place our hope in Christ. And in order to do that, Jesus gives us a new promise. Peter says, we've left all we've had to follow you. In other words, if this man couldn't attain eternal life, we probably can't either. either. We've given you everything. We don't have anything left. But Jesus comes in with the great, one of the greatest promises of Scripture. He has given each of us, each of his disciples, a greater hope. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now, we've got uh, to experience something beautiful the other night, something that I'm not sure has ever happened in, in the history of our church. It may have happened, I don't know, but Harvey confirmed that this has never happened here since he's been a deacon, which has been over 50 years. Aaron and I got to sit down with all of the deacons and all their wives, and we just had dinner. And you may think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, if you knew the hoops that we had to jump through just to pull it off, you'd be pretty impressed. But, but it's more than that. As we sat around the table just having dinner and fellowshipping, We all recognize something beautiful, something that I will treasure in my heart for a very long time. You know, Aaron and I don't live around our families. Sometimes it's a blessing, sometimes it's a curse. My parents live on the other side of the world. Aaron's parents live 300 plus miles away. And we got to talking about how we're not just leaders of the church. We're not just friends. We're family. And it was such a blessing to get to sit down and talk about how God had brought us all together. And before you begin to feel like that's an exclusive club, I want you to know that each of us has been brought together, not simply because we live or in the same area, but because of our mutual faith in Christ. Without that, many of us, including myself, wouldn't be here. And where we don't get to have our family around all the time, God has given us a new family, a church family. Brothers and sisters who share in a mutual belief in God. Brothers and sisters who are walking together in spiritual maturity. Brothers and sisters who stand together and help hold each other up. Brothers and sisters who have, have gone before us and have gone to be with the Lord. And we, 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 we have little reminders of the memories that we have in them to help give us hope for something better. For best. We have hope because God blesses us many times with these little areas, these little things, these little dinners, these things that we we tend to overlook but are great in the eyes of God. God has given us things in this life to give us hope, but not just the assurances in this life. Jesus says we can also hope for the life to come. That's something that Aaron and I, I know Aaron thinks about it, I think about it, but we very rarely talk about it around Christmas Day is the fact that we should have at least one more gift sitting under the tree. Aaron and I have never got the pleasure of giving gifts to our first child. Because of the consequences of sin in this world, we had our first child stripped from us, taken from us. 
And even though we don't get the privilege of raising our little girl, we have a greater hope that can never be stolen away by an emergency trip to a hospital. That we will have all of eternity to spend with our little Katie. And more than that, one day, all of our church family, all of our children will be together and we will never have broken hope again. Our mourning will turn to joy and our blessings in this life give us great assurances for hope in the age to come. So if you're broken, please don't pretend to be whole. If you're broken, understand that is a beautiful place to be because you can turn to Christ. Instead of pretending that we're better off than we really are, we should simply ask the Lord to help us where we are. Instead of walking away brokenhearted like this man, this rich young ruler, we should simply look to Christ and say, you know, the things that you ask of me are are impossible. I can't do those things on my own. So how, Lord, can you help me? Like I said, Christmas often seems to have this amazing way of distracting us by getting us to place our hope in the temporary things of this world, the things that rob us of hope in the long run. And instead of misplacing our hope all over again or trying to generate it from within and try again and listening to those motivational tapes, And trying to get into the Christmas spirit, we should place our hope on Christ and the things that really matter most by getting into the Holy Spirit. So if we're broken and we're not sure what to do about it, if we've lost hope, we must simply cry out to God. And the beautiful thing about God, an assurance from Scripture, something we can place our hope in, is that when we cry out to God, God always sends deliverance for those who ask for it. After all, that is what Christmas is really all about. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.